We are in Romans chapter 6, down to verse 14. I'm going to read the verse, and then we'll say a few other things first. 14, for sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. People use this a lot, and they don't interpret it properly, and they're deceived. Okay, so let's first of all go to the scriptural help us a little bit. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, the Lord speaks to Paul, and he tells him a little bit about grace. He says to him, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. People talk about grace. If there's no strength, if there's no active grace, it's worthless. See, they think it covers them. It's the free, unmerited favor. Well, that's true. God initiates it. But when he gives it, you're responsible for it, and you can't do as you please with it. So you don't have no license to sin. You don't have no covering. If he gives you grace, he gives you ability to use and make grace work. And that shows you that most people's grace is false. Okay? So strength is the working of grace. As the scripture says, we live by faith, faith that works by love. That's what he talks about. He wants to see the results, not the confession, not the mental assent to things. So strength is the outworking of grace. As faith without works is dead, grace without strength is dead. It has no ability. So when God gives grace, and again, he initiates it, he expects the person to do something about it. And those who trample grace, Hebrews says, how much greater punishment do you think God's going to punish them? You think they're going to get away with it? No, it's not going to happen. The more is given, more is required. So if God gives more grace, you're going to answer for it if you don't submit to it. You will store up wrath for the day of judgment, okay? So the grace that the Lord's talking about, the grace here, the apostles talk about, is active grace. It works, okay? That's what he's talking about. It has an action. That's the spiritual working. That's what grace does. It's not passive. Most professing Christians just have passive faith and grace. It's all Jesus, it's all God, and we can't do nothing, so I try. Well, they're under a demonic spirit. They're teaching things that are demonic, have nothing to do with the Lord. They blaspheme him in their teaching. They're teaching something that don't work. They have a mental assent that Jesus is Lord, but they don't follow him. He's my Savior, but he's not my Lord. There's no such teaching in Scripture. If he's not your Lord, you're not following him, you're lost. You're not under grace. Grace is not working, okay? So most, we say, are under the law of sin and death still. But they think they're under grace. But they're not, because it's not working. And that's what James would say. Your faith without works is dead. You can talk about faith and belief all you want. Let me see its actions. And Paul said the same thing. He said, if you're under grace, you obey righteousness. 
And if you don't obey righteousness, he says, then you're not under grace. It's not working. So all this nonsense talk is just talk from the devil to excuse people and their sins. And they think they have fire insurance and they can live as they please. Well, they're going to hell. They're going to a lake of fire. They're going to be deceived one day. At the day of judgment, they will be enlightened. Okay? So sin shall not have master over you. Why? Because you have strength to overcome it. You have strength to resist it. There's no automatic thing. Yeah, I hear many people say, oh, I'm under grace and faith and that's all it is. I say, well, you're deceived. You're not preaching true doctrine. You're not believing the truth. So many professing, False Christians and deceived ones read this as absolute. We are under grace. Well, prove you're under grace, okay? Yet they have no power over sin, no practical power over sin. They are still ruled by their fleshly desires, but they have a mental belief that Jesus is my Lord. Mm hmm. And he will say to most of them, as we've said, depart from me into everlasting punishment. I never knew you. You didn't follow me. You didn't have true grace. You had a lying religion. So it's the yielding to grace that only works. True faith works. It produces something, okay? Otherwise, it's mental ascent belief. Like we say, the devils believe that Jesus is the Lord and he is Jehovah, and they believe that, but it doesn't save them. And so many people believe they're Christians, but they're not saved. They don't follow the Lord. They don't keep his word. They're not led of the Spirit. They're living their own selfish lives and doing as they please, and they're serving God on their terms. So they're false Christians, okay? So what has he have to say to them? They're still ruled by the lower nature. They don't have power over it. They don't yield to grace, so it doesn't work for them. You are under the law still if you do not yield to Christ's spirit in a practical way. So that nullifies most people's Calvinistic lying gospel or their Roman Catholic gospel. And that's where the most Christians are. And that's why most of them have false Christianity. They're deceived. They just want to take scripture, one scripture, and run with it at the exclusion of a hundred other ones that harmonize. They just pass over those scriptures that make them uncomfortable. Well, the Holy Spirit wrote them all and inspired them all, so you better take them all, or you're going to be in trouble one day. Okay? Sound doctrine, remember. Sound teaching that the apostles taught means teaching that leads to holy living. So if you're not living holy and you're not being pure and righteous in this life, then you don't have true Christianity. And your Christianity is not working. And your grace and faith is dead. It has no effect on you. You have no fruitfulness. You have no obedience. You're not yielding to the Lord. Okay? See, it's not practical. Oh, it may be in your head, but it's not in your life. Okay, and 15, it says, what then? Shall we sin because we are not under law, but under grace? 
Well, a lot of people think they can do it. They think they have a license to sin. Once saved, always saved. Yeah, they're going to find out one day it's not true. And he says, may it never be. Some translations say, God forbid. It means don't you keep sinning if you're under grace. If you're not under the law of sin and death, then prove it. Don't live by the flesh. Don't yield and live in sin because then you don't have grace. Grace does not cover. It removes. It strengthens to overcome. That's why a lot of people don't like overcoming. See, overcoming is the spiritual work. It's the fruitfulness. So you see that many people have false Christianity. So what shall we say? Uh, shall we keep on sinning because we're under grace? Do we have a license to sin? Are we once saved, always saved? No such teaching in Scripture. Are we saved by faith alone? No such teaching in Scripture. Heresies. God gives you grace and ability. You're a steward then. You're under responsibility. It's not free for you to do as you please with. It doesn't cover you to do as you please. That's a lying gospel. So he says, God forbid. Don't let that ever happen. It's foolishness. James would call them fools. He said, they were fools who said faith without works. He said, they're dead. If they think they have Christian faith, and they don't have no proof of it. He said it's dead faith. So he made it very plain what it was, okay? And Paul did too. They were in agreement. So claiming something that you have is one thing. It working is another, okay? Confessing is one thing. Working it out is quite another. So the Lord says he works in on salvation and we work it out. It's not one-sided. If he gives us grace, he expects us to use that grace. That's why the Holy Spirit comes inside us. He says to help us. It didn't say for him to override us and do it for us. A lot of people think, oh, it's all God. Well, you're wrong. You could not be judged if it was all God. You could not be called into judgment. It would be all his responsibility. But he's not responsible for the sinner and the professing Christian who continues in his sin, because it means they're not submitting to him, and they're not bearing fruit, and they're not bearing the fruits of righteousness and holiness. So they prove they don't have the goods, or they lost it a long time ago. Okay. So James meant faith without works is dead. It's alone. So grace without strength, grace that doesn't have power, is a false grace. There must be spiritual works, fruit, and obedience. They, they basically are interchangeable. The branches does not bear fruit. Jesus said it's cut off. It has the choice to bear fruit or not. Stay in Christ, obey him, draw from him, or you'll dry up and you'll be cut off. Fruit is the likeness of the spirit working in a Christian. So if it's not working, he don't have true faith. And we know what obedience is. And Jesus said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, if you don't do what I tell you? He means you're not. I'm not your Lord. And the multitudes of millions and most professing Christians at the day of judgment are going to say, Lord, Lord, did we? And they believe he's the son of God. He died on us. He said, I never knew you. You were never born again. You never changed. You never followed me. And he doesn't even talk about their belief. He says, you're workers 
of lawlessness. You don't have spiritual works. You don't have righteousness working. He says, you're of the old nature. Your father's the devil. And he says, depart from me, you cursed of my father. Now, that's a, and that's the people who call him Lord and think that he's their Lord, okay? And it's going to be the masses of professing Christianity. So faith without works, without fruit, is useless. It has no faith. Grace that does not give power and strength is a false grace. It's useless. Okay? People need to believe that and see the truth, or they will not make it into the kingdom. Okay, And so we see that Paul will explain this faith without works in a different way. They were in perfect agreement. James, John, Peter, they're all, as I said, John's epistle is beautiful. The first epistle written 20-some years after Paul and Peter were dead. And he'll tell you six, seven, eight different ways you can tell if you're a real Christian. And he doesn't mention grace, and he only mentions faith as a byword. See, he didn't elaborate. He's going to tell you how they work. He's going to tell you if you've got the real faith or grace by these things. He gives one example. If you have a true Christian brother, I'm not talking about a professing Christian, a heretic, or a fall, but if you know a person is a true Christian brother, and you don't forgive his sins when he repents, and you don't like him and you hate him, then John says you have no eternal life. He says anybody, he says you're a murderer. And you know, he says, you know, we believe this. And it applies to any gross sin. He says, you know, know this, no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. What he's saying is, no murderer has Jesus Christ abiding in him. And the same can be applied to adultery, fornication, any of the gross sins. If you continue in them, you cannot have Christ in you. And he said, know that. So he explains beautifully what a Christian really is. And he says that if you walk in darkness and say God is yours and you love God, now he says you're a liar and the truth is not in you because Christ isn't in you. See? So he makes it very practical. He doesn't get into heady stuff. He doesn't get into deep theology. And Paul can do that at times. Like Peter says, he has things hard to say that we have to really study. And he said, but James and Peter and John, they make it very plain to the ordinary person that you don't need to be a scholar. You don't need to go to seminary. Most people go come out worse because they've been taught false doctrine. Now, it's very plain to those who want to know the truth. The way of righteousness. The way of God is plain to those who walk righteously. That's what the scripture says. And it says, yet the wicked shall never understand. See, it don't matter how ebriant he is. God doesn't give him certain spiritual revelation. So all of his mental assent and knowledge of scripture doesn't work. It's vain to him. Okay. So we need to see Christianity is not a head religion only. It's not just remembering scripture or quoting scripture. It has something to do with the lifestyle. And so, yeah, there are people who quote half the Bible and they're still lost because they believe false doctrine, okay? 16, do you not know? Again, I love that word. 
Know this. Do you not know? I want you to remember this. This is what he's saying. That when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves to the one whom you obey, either of sin resulting in death or obedience resulting in life. He's saying the same thing, and he's explained in a different way, that James said when James said, faith without works is dead. He says, you show me your works, then I know you got the goods. But if you think you have faith and you don't have no works, spiritual works, you got the wrong faith. It's dead, he said. That means it don't exist, okay? And so he's saying the same thing. It's who you obey. If you do not obey the Lord and live righteously, then he's not Lord. You're giving him lip service. He's not yours. So Christianity is obeying Christ, the law of Christ. You may not be under the law of sin and death, the old, but you're under the law of Christ. And if you don't follow him and obey him, then you're not his. Look at John again. He says something beautiful. And people do a lot of praying for nothing, no reason. Many professing Christians are praying all the time and God ain't listening. Oh, things will happen and they think it's God, but a lot of the things they're praying for, God could care less. And they think it's the Lord because they got what they wanted. They're covetous. But John said, now we know. He uses that same word here. Know this. He says, you know as a fact that your prayers will be heard. You know means you have faith already. He said, and you know that whatever you ask of the Father, he will give you. And it doesn't stop there. And he says, you know why? And he explains it. He said, because you do those things and keep his commandments and please him. That's the reason. Now, if that works, isn't that obedience? Isn't that fruitfulness? Uh-huh. It's not no dead belief and positive thinking. It's based on something. You have a relationship. And people don't like to quote it, but Jesus said, the Father always hears me when I pray. And he didn't say because I'm the Son of God. He gives us the reason. For I always please him and keep his word. Same condition for the Son of God. And if he didn't obey and follow, then the Father wouldn't hear him. Since he was acting in the human capacity. So he says, I know he hears me. He always hears me because I keep his commandments and I please him. And so John says the same thing, okay? So that nullifies most people's praying because most professing Christians are praying its covetousness and materialism and self-absorption and wanting this and wanting that. They're not interested in God or the spiritual things. They want God to give them things, be tied to this world. They're not content. They don't learn contentment for what comes their way. They want more of this world because they're of this world. See, they're not being dealt with properly. So this is a good scripture. If a person reads it every day, a Christian would not ever believe the one saved, always saved. He'd never believe in greasy grace. He'd never believe he could do as he pleased and still be a Christian. Because he's telling us right here, if you're under grace, you will obey righteousness. And if you're not, you won't obey it.
It's who you obey. He says, and this is Paul, the great teacher of grace and faith. He says, your master is the one you obey. Makes it very plain and simple. So know this. I want you to know this. He's emphasizing it. When you give in to the flesh or to God, then you are the slaves of the one that you're submitting to. So we're either slaves to the old nature and the devil's realm, or we're the Lord's slave. We're not neutral. Somebody rules and owns us. That's how we are. Jesus and Paul, and through many apostles, you're not your own. You're bought with a price. And Paul goes a little further. See, people don't know much about slavery today in our modern society. In some societies, they do. So they know what it means to be a slave. You are owned, and your whole life is under the control of someone else. And Paul said, if you're a slave in the natural world, they believe of 20, 25% of the early Christians were slaves. And they had masters. And, they, and Paul didn't say escape and run away and rebel. He said, submit to them as you would the Lord. See, that's in his providential dealings. And But he did, he tells that slave, but if you are a slave in the world, you're free before the Lord. He controls your life. He can do what he pleases with your master. He can regulate. That's within his capacity. So that's why you don't have to fight too much if it's God's will. See, a lot of people don't want God's will because it don't suit them. And therefore, they cannot take up the cross daily. And that means I'll give in to God's will even though I don't like it. That's what it means. But he says to the free Christian, but you're God's slave. He's telling the Christian that you are owned by God and you're not your own. And so if God gives you grace and faith, you're a stewardship of it. You're responsible. You're going to give an account for it. So whatever he gives, he can give anything freely, grace, under certain conditions. But he can't with the practicing wicked person. He won't deal with them that. He won't give them the good things. He'll store up wrath against them. Okay? So he's saying you belong to somebody. You're not your own. So that's why you don't hear me. Men of people say take up the cross daily and follow him like Paul did. He's the master. He has a right to your life. He bought you by his blood. And he didn't buy you so you can live your own life and enjoy yourself. So you can be prosperous, wealthy, and healthy. He didn't buy you for that reason. Those things come and go. He bought you for another reason. You're his. You're the children of God, but you're his servants too, and you're his slaves. You'll find those words used. So people think, oh, I'm just so free. No, you're not. You're not free. So you are slaves to the one that you obey. Whoever you live for and whoever's your priority, then that's who your master is. And if it isn't the Lord, then it's the world, the flesh, and the devil, okay? And I don't care how much you say you were born again and, and you believe in faith and grace alone and, and I'm eternally secure. Oh, that don't mean nothing. See, he's Paul's going to interpret this grace and faith just like James and John do. And they're in harmony. I've read them 50-some years and I don't see no conflict between any of them. 
Only people who see conflict is the ones who don't want the truth and want to believe something, and they want to stretch the Scripture. As Peter said, he said they stretch Paul's writings. The word used is they torture or twist it, which means out of proportion. That's what the word perversion comes from. It's altered. It's not the real thing anymore. And what did Peter say? As they do all Scripture to their own damnation. So he called Paul's writing Scripture. And he said, and they were twisting it then. The greasy gracers and the liars were twisting Paul's writings while he was writing. And Peter recognized that. And that's why James, they didn't have no problem with them, but they could preach what they wanted. People said, well, James was one of the first written with, along with Galatians. That's true. But John was written 20-some years after they were dead. And he's just like James to a great degree. He don't get into head theology. He'll let you know whether you've got the real faith and grace by certain actions, by certain fruits. Now, I've had people tell me, well, you don't know my heart. I said, you just told me your heart. You're living in adultery and you're not following the Lord, so you're not a Christian. Well, I love God. I said, well, no, I'm sorry. John says you're a liar and the truth's not in you, so you don't know what love is. I said, you love God like you love your cat. You just have an affection, but it's not the love that God expects. The love of God to him mainly is to keep his words. It's not an emotional thing. It's not a feeling. They come later. They're secondary. They're not the basis. So a person can praise the Lord and sing all he wants. And if he's not obeying the Lord, he doesn't love God, and God doesn't accept it. It's a reproach to him. He told the people under Ezekiel, they had the temple worship, and they had the music and the instruments, and beautiful music they sang and everything else. And he told Ezekiel, Isaiah, tell the people. He said, I hate your singing. I hate your music. Why? Because he said, you honor me with your lips, but your heart's far from me. You ain't care for it. The sacrifices of the wicked are an abomination to the Lord. He don't want nothing from the sinner but repentance. And so people think you're going to do all this good and it'll measure up for their bad. It don't work that way. Don't work that way. They're revealing their heart. So belief, mental assent, and confession and wishing does not make it so. Okay? So most people's faith is just a positive thinking. It's a wishing and a hoping something will happen. You either obey sin, which leads to death, or you obey God, which produces righteousness, holiness, and purity. So if you're obeying God, you're going to live holy. And you can conform to the image of Christ, and you're going to do good. You're going to be a do-gooder. See, I have so many of them say, well, I don't want me to. I say, well, you can't make it to heaven because you're afraid of what the world thinks and you don't want them to think you're a fanatic. Well, if you're not, you're not going to make it into the kingdom. See, so you need to start clarifying to these people what true Christianity is, okay? So to claim the Christian experience is valid, but if the person is remaining in their sin, and they're not conforming and putting off the old man, which is its requirements, 
that it's dead, that Christianity is in vain. Even Paul said, where James says faith without works is dead, Paul said, don't let the grace of God be given to you in vain. Why? It's given to you in vain if it has no strength or ability and you're not using it. Then all that grace don't mean nothing. Okay, so it's a mental ascent again. And then people think they're under grace. I said, well, let them deceive themselves. That's the consequences of sin is being deceived. Faith must produce spiritual works, fruit, and obedience. They go together. Continue in the Lord, remain in him, stay with him. They all mean the same thing. Abide, remain, continue. They're interchangeable synonyms. And spiritual works, fruit, and obedience are the same. And if you don't have them, you're not a Christian. Or you once were a Christian, but you're not no more. If you start obeying the old nature again, then that's who your master is. He makes it very plain. And people trying to claim Christianity and trying to excuse themselves, and they steer their conscience, and they have false shepherds tell them they're wonderful, and they're okay, and Jesus covers it all, the grace and blood, and there's no action, there's no fruit, so they're lying to them, okay? Go to 1 John. We just went there, but we'll go there again. We went there in conversation, not by action. 1 John, the epistle of John, if you will, written 20 to 25 years or so after Peter and Paul had been martyred. Look at 5, chapter 5, verse 3. Very simple. Think about it. All you're singing all your giving, all of your other things that are good, if you're right with the Lord, he said, they don't mean nothing. Your emotionalism for the Lord, your fanaticism, your shedding tears and all that, it don't mean nothing if this doesn't precede it. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not grievous. So he means that it's not grievous. It's only grievous to the sinner and the one that will not conform and the one who loves his sin. Then it's grievous. But to the Christian that walks in the Spirit, he gives grace and ability and strength. And it's not a great burden. He said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He gives the ability. But if you are double-minded, like James says, you'll get nothing from the Lord. You've got to make up your mind who you're going to serve. You can't be like a roller coaster. You're up and down, back and forth all the time. Okay. So this is the love of God. There's no other way to interpret it. It is so plain, it does not need a mystery. It's not a dream or a vision that has to be explained that prophets get and, and the Lord uses. He said, if you love God, you obey him. Yeah, like Jesus said, why call me Lord, Lord, if you do not do what I tell you? See, that's the proof. You prove I'm your Lord because you follow me. And James says, well, you prove you have true faith because you have works that go along with it to prove it. You have true grace because it's working. It's the strength. That grace is a strength, an ability to do something, okay? And so that's what 
he gave Paul when Paul tried to have the stake in the flesh removed, the great oppression. Many people debate what well, he said. He prayed three separate times, and he didn't need little prayers. He probably went on a week at a time trying to get God to release him from something. And finally, the Lord says, uh-uh. See, it was for God's purposes. He said, my grace is sufficient. It's enough. And it'll give you strength to endure and to suffer my will. See? So like I said, if your Christianity doesn't produce suffering, you've got the wrong one. Your flesh will suffer. You will suffer. Those who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer. People won't like you. They want to hang around with you. They'll think you're a nut. They'll think you're too extreme. Well, that's fine. They thought the same thing with Noah and Lot. And look where they ended up. Not Noah and Lot, but the people. See, their opinion don't mount too much in the day of judgment, does it? So keeping, practicing, doing, working is what it means to keep his commandments. And he says, and that's the love of God. This says nothing, did he? He doesn't say one thing about your affections, your emotions, how you cry and sing and, and all. He didn't say nothing about that because that's irrelevant if you don't have the foundation right. So all of the sacrifices and all the other stuff don't mean nothing to God if you don't keep his commandments. Very simple, okay? But people miss it. All the confessions of love, emotions, feelings, sentiments, they're useless and they're vain, which means they're dead if you don't keep his commandments. Okay, very simple. People like to spend volumes of sermons trying to explain this away. Yeah, they tell me sometimes I talk to people, well, I know that I love God. I said, well, you're a liar. And they get all upset. Well, you don't know my heart. Oh, sure, I know your heart. You're, you have an affair on your wife, you just told me. You're an adulterer. You're not keeping his commandments. I said, you're not keeping morality and uprighteousness. So you don't love God. And he don't accept your love. It's an abomination to him. And you have no business praying and going to church or doing anything if you're in gross sin and practicing it because it ain't pleasing God. It'll actually make him angrier. He says the, it's an abomination to him, something I despise. He said he despises what people call good evil and evil good. He despises the sacrifices of hypocrites. He despises their gifts as they're engrossed against him. He doesn't care for nothing from them. What he wants from the sinner is repentance. That's what he's after first. Then everything else will fall into its place. Okay, in 17. But thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin. I hear so many people say, we are sinners, saved No, we're not. If you're a sinner, you're lost and you're going to hell. See, they're trying to excuse themselves. They take one scripture from Paul when he said he was a chief of sinners. He was talking about when he was killing Christians. And when you read the context, he wasn't doing that anymore. He wasn't living in sin. He wasn't glorying his failures. He changed. And the Bible says you were once this. You were once this. He never said you're still in it. So a Christian's not a sinner saved by grace. He's a saint. Because he's in Christ. 
And if he's living and ruling by sin, then he, he's still lost and going to hell. And Christ's grace has done nothing for him. Okay? But thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, past tense, you became obedient from the Spirit. That's what the heart is. From your will. Why? Because the Holy Spirit dwells in our spirit and the spirit functions with the will, and the will can decide to do it, okay? So he says, you are obedient from the heart. So all of a sudden, you stopped obeying the impulses of the lower nature, and you started obeying the Lord and his will and the things, the fruits that he likes, okay? He said, and that form of teaching to which you were committed. Now, that form of teaching is grace, grace with strength, not license to sin. Not grace that God does it all and you don't have to do nothing. That's lies. It's grace that works. It's faith that works by love. If faith does not work that way, then it's false faith. So we've got a lot of mental, the majority of Christians, professing Christians, are going to hell. And they'll be saying, Lord, Lord, in the day of judgment, wonder how they got there. But they'll find out when it's too late. Okay. So you were once, past tense, slaves of sin. But thank God he's given you grace to overcome it. Thus you become obedient from your heart, your will, your conscience, to that teaching of grace. Grace and truth. The law came through Moses. Grace and truth came through Christ Jesus. He extended his grace. Oh, there was grace under the law. When he appeared to Moses on the mount, he said, I'm gracious and loving. He didn't change. He didn't say all about it. It means he extended more grace, a different covenant, more privileges. That's what it meant. Okay, So that came through Jesus Christ. Under the law, Christ did not dwell in them by his spirit as he does in the new covenant. He's in them. So that's where the grace and truth can work better. He's the Holy Spirit working with us and in us. You became obedient. He doesn't say here, you believed only, because you don't find that too much. For it is vain and dead grace without obedience or works. So we see the same thing as we've said a thousand times. I said, well, we have to keep saying it and reminding people because they're not doing it. Let's take a break here.